Good morning again. The title of today's message is Satan Thrown Out of Heaven. And our text, of course, is Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. The history of the world is history of wars and conquests. If we removed every chapter in our history books that contained war, conflict, the result would be a lot thinner history books. It would be a lot slimmer. In the 20th century alone, we've had a lot of war. That was last century in the 21st century now. And there's a, a diagram up. goes from 1900. I know it's a little hard to see. But it lists all the conflicts between 1900 to the year 2000. And, of course, the big ones being World War I and World War II, Korea, Vietnam. You have the Soviet-Afghanistan War. You have the Gulf War. You have the Cold War. All these conflicts. Now, this is just one century. We'd be here for a long time. We talked about every conflict that's happened since the dawn of time. But what you think about that? How much time is spent when we're at war with each other? Now, the history of the Bible is also a history of war and conflict. From Genesis to Revelation, we find a mighty conflict between two forces. The forces of righteousness, God, and the forces of evil, Satan. And this warfare, this conflict began at the dawn of human history, immediately after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. You remember the story? Man would now have to cultivate the ground and get everything by the sweat of his brow. The woman would have pain and childbirth. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise or strike you on the head and you shall bruise or strike him on the heel. Now it's important to remember that all wars behind them all that many nations have fought through the years is a great spiritual battle between sin and righteousness between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent as you've already looked at our text this morning it begins with there was a war in heaven a war broke out and all attempt on the part of Satan to regain his position and it's precisely the reason, well, let me start again, it's precisely because Satan has lost this crucial battle that he launches his assault on the church. He's cast down to earth knowing that his time is short, you saw that in verse 12, and he turns his fierce anger, his wrath upon the church. Look back at verse 7. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. Now, according to Jewish thought, a lot of theologians and scholars, even by this text, Satan was once an angel at one point. He attempted to achieve equality with God. He was cast out of heaven with his angels. 
Now we see allusions to this fall in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit at the mouth of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high God. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, the recesses of the pit. There is a text I'm going to quote as 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Now, in this context, Paul is writing to young Timothy about deacons and overseers in the church. And it says, not a new convert, an overseer or a deacon, not a new convert, so he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. It was devil's pride that led to his fall. He wanted to be equal with God. He wanted to rise above God. Now note in this first verse that the adversaries here are Michael and the dragon, not God and the dragon. Michael the archangel is mentioned in the Old Testament as a chief prince. He will fight against the prince of Persia in Daniel chapter 10 verses 13 and 21. The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left there with the kings of Persia. In verse 21, there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. And what we find, Michael's role in scripture is a military one, fighting against the cosmic forces behind Persia on behalf of Israel and saving faithful people in Israel from the distress of the last days. That's Michael who fought the dragon and they resulted in defeating them and you can see the result in verse 8. They were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven or the NIV translates lost their place in heaven or the New Living Translation forced out of heaven. Now, this is where it gets a little difficult. Did this war, was it already fought, or is it going to be fought in the last half of the tribulation, specifically the end? Now, some people agree that, some scholars do, and the reasons for it are the following. In verse 10, you see the general rejoicing of heaven. In verse 12, you see the anger of Satan is magnified. He's having great wrath. And also the statement, knowing that he has only a short time. There are some reasons why people think that this war, this battle, will happen in the last part of the tribulation. However, there's others who believe that this war has already been fought. And it provides explanation to John's readers and to us the reason why we find the condition on the earth as we do. Satan was dropped to heaven, he was forced out of heaven, now he's doing everything he can do to take everything down with him. That's the reason he's launching against the church, specifically the saved. Let me just stretch that out for a second. What I mean by that, I know most of you in this room are Christians. You have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. By that, you are going to escape the wrath to come. But Satan's not going to escape the wrath. He knows that his doom is sure, and he's mad and he's angry, and he's going around deceiving the whole world. 
He's trying in a vain effort to regain his position that he once had in heaven. He wants to, he wants to take God off the throne. He wants to rule himself. And since the day he was thrown out of heaven, he has started, he started this program or inaugurated this program of deceiving the whole earth since that time. Now think about where we're at in our society. We're in the year 2023. Are things getting worse or better? They're getting worse. That's right. It's not a rhetorical question. You can shout out. And I'll tell you, it's because Satan Satan knows that his time is short. We'll expand on that in just a moment. Look at verse 9. The great dragon was thrown out, or he was hurled down. Now that word thrown, I can throw you a baseball. I say, I wouldn't do it in here, okay? But if I was throw a baseball from here to to Roger, I would kind of lob it, right? But that Greek word connotates more than that, more like hurled, but you really just throw it hard. So he was thrown down or hurled out the servant of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world literally the inhabited earth he was thrown or hurled down to earth and his angels were thrown down or hurled down with him now Satan does have limited access to heaven as we see in the prologue of Job the sons of God present themselves before the Lord and Satan was there as well. It states that also came among them. He also came among them. And that's in Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now he accuses Job of honoring God for personal advantage. He tells God the reason why Job praises you so much and serves you because you bless them with all these things. You take those things away, he will curse you and die. So God says, go ahead and take them away. So he does. Job does not, does not quit his honoring and following God, so Satan goes back and says, well, let me strike him with an illness. And God specifically tells him, you can do anything you want, but do not take his life. And you know the story that he loses everything, his family, he has sores. You know, you have to remind ourselves that we know about this conversation that happened. Job had no idea this even took place. But in the end, Job gets everything restored. He has three friends. You need to read that, by the way. If you've never read the book of Job, when you're talking about pain and suffering. But we also see Satan in the vision described in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. He stands at the right hand of Joshua, the high priest, and he's there to level an accusation against Joshua. That's what he does. He's an accuser. The Greek word translated devil is the word diabolos. It means to engage in slander, to falsely accuse. And Satan, or Satanatus, means the enemy or adversary. He is a dangerous liar. He falsely accuses people. He put it in the heart of Judas to betray Christ. John chapter 13 verse 2. He was out to undermine the faith of Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus speaking to Peter, Satan wants to sift you. But Jesus said, I prayed for you. So the devil was out to undermine his faith. And we're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, 
The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We shouldn't give more credit to Satan than what he's due, but at the same time, we need to know that we have an enemy that's very crafty at what he does. And he will stop at nothing to destroy you, your family, this church, everything. We have an enemy. And I wonder sometimes, let's be thinking out loud, if I was to see with spiritual eyes this morning what is going on, would I be too scared to walk outside my house? You realize the war has been won, but there's still a battle waging. And what's, what's the point of all this? Because people's souls are hanging in the balance. Will they spend eternity? In this case, he is thrown out of heaven. And look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Now the phrase, our God, is modifying all three of the preceding nouns. The salvation, the power, and the kingdom. So not only has the sovereignty of God come, his supreme power, the deliverance of he affects has come, and the authority by which he rules has come as well. And Christ the Son participates in this, or shares the authority because it is by his death, Satan has been defeated. The sovereign rule of God becomes a present reality in that the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down or hurled down. Now, Satan is the great accuser. And we have seen Fine's classic expression in Job. His accusations against the righteous continue day and night. But, by the virtue of the death of Christ, he is unable to successfully lodge a charge against God's elect. Don't take my word for it. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Do you realize the Son right now is interceding for you at the right hand of God? What's that, what goes through your mind and your heart when you hear that? You know it to be true. See, contemporary pictures of the devil tend to focus on his role as tempter. Now, that's serious. But it's no more devastating than his accusations. He uses accusations against the brethren, against God's elect, to discourage the saints, to dissuade them from faith and the purposes and providence of God. The progress of the, I love what Dr. Patterson said here. The progress of the church is often more impeded by this than anything else Satan does. Levels accusations. Now, bear with me. Not only is he trying to take accusations to God about you, but he also levels accusations against each other. You know old so-and-so over there. You know what they're, he's whispering in your ear. And I think a lot of church splits and divisions come because these false accusations that he tells us about, about each other. He wants us to come in here, 
sit nice and neat in our pew, listen quietly and sing and walk out. He has no problem with that. What Satan does not want to happen, we take our faith seriously and go out there and proclaim the truth, regardless of what may happen to us, and more people will become on fire for God. He doesn't want you to do that. He'll stop at nothing to keep you from doing that. He used everything in his arsenal to trip you up and make you feel that you're not qualified, you're not good enough, no one will listen to you, and give you all these lists of reasons. You know, it wasn't too long ago in church history that the local church called their next pastor and their next leaders. Going outside the local body and taking resumes was not even heard of back in the day. I'm talking about 100 years ago. How come we don't see anybody coming forward anymore to surrender to vocational ministry or become a missionary? How come we have a hard time people volunteering to teach VBS or to come to blast? We have an enemy. They don't want us to reach the young people. And he's doing everything that he possibly can to make sure that doesn't happen. And I agree that the progress of the church is impeded. Oh, yeah, we'll say we believe God, but, you know, I have to make sure it's there. And look at verse 11. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. They defeated him because of of the blood of the Lamb. Now consider this. Only does Satan suffer defeat at the hands of Michael the archangel. But he is overcome by faithful believers as well because their primary cause of their victory is the blood of the Lamb, the great redemptive act that freedom from their sins and establish their right to reign is the basis for their victory. I would challenge you to pick up a hymn. If you want to, pick a hymn and roll up and see how many hymns have been written about the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood? There's power in the blood. That's our cause for victory. And only that, look what he says in verse 11. And because of the word of their testimony, they did not love their life even with faced with death. Their share in this conquest stems from their testimony. Their willingness to proclaim the message overcame the natural fear of death. Did you hear what I just said? The willingness to proclaim the message, the gospel, overcame the natural fear of death. Or put it to like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me... For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You have nothing to lose. To live, to live, to really live is to be like Christ. But if I am to die, that's gain because now I'm going to be with Christ. That's how Paul was so sold out for his message and how passionate he was. He knew without a shadow of a doubt, he had Nothing to lose, but all to gain. You see, death is no longer problematic for those who know the Lord of the resurrection. 
Do I cry when I lose friends and loved ones? Of course I do. It hurts. Jesus himself cried. Did he not? When Lazarus passed away, he felt the pain of the people. Jesus wept. But through our tears and through our grief, we have hope because of the resurrection of our Lord. Verse 12, for this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. That refers back to verse 10. Because they are to rejoice because the accuser has been cast down. And this call for rejoicing echoes such exclamations as found in Psalm chapter 96 verses 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. In Isaiah chapter 49, 13, Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth in joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Where's our shouting at? We shouldn't shout just for the sake of shouting. But when you stop and think what God has done, what he's doing, what he's promised to do, where is our shouting at? Where is our excitement and our passion? This is not some man-made philosophy. This is truth. It says in verse 12, Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. You see, as time goes along, time's running out for an enemy. And interesting, there are two Greek words that are used to talk about time. Chronos is where we get our English word chronology. Put things in order. And that could be a big time frame of, you know, you talk about 1900 to the year 2000 or 2000 to, two, what are we talking about? A chronology. But there's another word, kairos. It means a point of time. And that's what's used here in the text. So it's not just talking about time in general, but it's talking about an appointment of time. In other words, if you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow at 12, that's a kairos. That's an appointment in time. So, the implication is that not only is time running short for Satan, but God has set a particular time for his final judgment, and this is the reason why he's having such great wrath. He knows he's going to have to face the judgment of God. He knows that day is getting closer as time goes by. period of Satan's desperate struggle to regain what he has lost. That struggle became started way back in the Garden of Eden. And it's no long, it's no wonder why the intensity seems to keep getting more and more because Satan knows that his final judgment day has been set. Now if you haven't figured this out by now, I would say that this war that we read about has already happened. Satan was thrown down. He, he still has access to heaven, but God has to allow him in. And by the, by the way, 
if you go back in Job and look at those contexts, he has to go to see. He's not omnipresent like God. He has to go back and forth. And he has demons, and you can look at other pastors. He has a little order to what he's trying to do. Can you understand now? I hope I'm making this clear enough that we shouldn't be surprised when we turn on the news. Things are really getting bad. Judgment day is coming. He's mad. Fierce anger, wrath, fury. And he wants to take down all of us. His time has been set. We need to realize we're going to have some attacks from Satan. Accusations made against us. We must lift each other up in prayer on a daily basis. If I talk to you or not on the phone, it doesn't matter. I should be in my thoughts and prayers every single day. That's why we must continue to assemble together, to edify, to build up, and to encourage. He wants to divide and conquer. We call this place a sanctuary, a place of refuge, where you can find encouragement, you can find mercy, you can find forgiveness. Because out there, there's a battle waging. And brothers and sisters, it's intensifying every single day. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let's consider how to stimulate how to spur how to motivate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near don't quit assembling together As time continues to go, we must assemble every time we can because time is growing short. That word stimulate, it means rousing to activity, stirring up, provoking. It's the picture of taking those billows to your fireplace and blowing on the flames to stir it up. Let that fire burn. Often we walk around with blinders on, and I I include myself. I'm so busy like this, thinking about everything that really doesn't matter. I have my enemy that just wants me to give up and walk away. But I can't. How can I? As discouraging as it may come, brother, how can I walk away from the one who saved me from the pit of hell? The one who saved me from myself? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what everybody's facing. But if we run around the room this morning, you find out you have more in common with each other than you think. See, the primary importance in defeating Satan is taking the proper attitude in relation to him. We can't be overoccupied with him, but we must never underestimate him and what he will do. That's why we have to pray. That's the reason we have to assemble together and lift each other up. So you better know your enemy 
who he is and what he's trying to do. James gives us some practical instruction in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Draw close to God. He will draw near to you. God himself says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will make myself known to you. And I must remind us that victory requires the constant use of the armor that God has provided. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and following, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. May I tell you, your enemy is not Democrats, it's not Republicans, it's not Independents, it's not the guy sitting in the White House. Your enemy is the devil. He's behind all this that we see going on. He died this much for President Biden as he did for me. That's our enemy. It's not the church down the street. It's not that person who's not here. It's not that brother or sister. It's the enemy. Making those false accusations. And so often we swallow it hook, line, and sinker. May I just sum up everything this morning in this statement. God has not left us defenseless. He has given us everything that we need. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He is with us. He's abiding in us. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. (laughs) But it does require one thing. Your active participation. Yes, nothing can take your salvation away from you, but you still got to receive that gift. How do you receive that gift? By making the statement and agreeing with God that I have sinned against you. Confession means to agree. All of us in here know we've broken one of not all the Ten Commandments. All of us know that we're not perfect. All of us know we're sinners saved by the grace of God. That is no news splash to anybody in here. But it takes dedication and discipline every day to spend time with God. I have to do that outside, sermon prep, everything. I have to have my time with God. And when people know you're a believer, you know the enemy's going to put people in your path just to trip you up. I'm telling you, if you go to Walmart after this, I'm not, you go to Walmart, go to Walmart. But I'm telling you, there's going to be opportunities for you to have patience and understanding. Hmm. I just think that you know, we don't want to give more credit to the devil and what he's doing, but some oftentimes I think that we have downplayed our enemy. We don't really realize who we're dealing with what we're up against the prisons the addicts 
Those are all people who tried to fight Satan by themselves and did not win. You can't do it by yourself. There's only victory found in Christ and Christ alone. You're not meant to walk this life, this journey of faith alone either. God has given us each other. Some of you have been Christian longer than I have. You're older than I am. You could, I can go to you and say, how did you walk through this? I turned to some of you when I lost my mother two years ago. How did you do that when that was your mom? How did God move in that area? That comes encouragement. Do you know why Sunday school is usually divided by age groups? Because you're on the same path, walking that road together. And when we separate ourselves, and we go to this rugged individualism, we're setting ourselves up for failure and discouragement. And he will come to you and start making all these accusations. Now more than ever, we need to come together as the body of Christ. What ties us together is the precious blood of the Lamb. There's people out there that are hurting. They're wondering what the answer is. Look at some of our churches in this great country. What's going on? Why is the church, why has the church lost its influence? I think because we believe the enemy is each other and not who it really is. Now, I'm not saying, I'm a, if you want to know about how more, there's lots to be said about that. I think if you break the law, you should pay the consequences of it. But the true enemy is not another human being. It's our enemy, Satan. And when I look at people, I try to remind myself of one thing. Except for the grace of God, so go I. The minute you think you'll never do it, you're setting yourself up for failure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gift of your son. We face an enemy that's more powerful, more cunning than we are. But Father, we know you are sovereign. You are supreme. There is none like you, none beside you. And we praise you for the gift of salvation. That through the precious blood of the Lamb, we can have victory. It's all because of you. Father, I lift up everyone in the sound of my voice. I don't know what everyone's going through right now. I don't know every challenge they face. Father, I pray that they will realize the rest they can have in you. The peace that you give that can calm us. In the midst of a world that's in chaos and hate, we can have the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, help us to move past our petty differences. Let us see each other the way you see us. Precious creatures, precious creations made in your image, paid for by the blood of your Son. Amen. Amen. 
Help us to love each other the way you love us. Help us to forgive each other the way you forgive us. Continue to move and continue to speak to our hearts, oh God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please?